Hey, welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast uh, this week. I'm your host, Roland Smith, and uh, this is the interview edition uh, that we have each week. Glad you could join us. Um, I'm excited to have one of our board members from Forge and just a missional thinker, practitioner, author uh, that many of you are familiar with, Brad Briscoe, uh, joining us from Florida. Uh, how you doing, Brad? Very good. Good to see it. You, know, you, hold, you holding up during this whole thing still? It's, it's a crazy time, but yeah, I feel like we're in a pretty good, pretty good place. It's, it's, uh, if I had to go through a pandemic, I think Florida is a, a pretty good place to do it. Pretty good place to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Well, your hair looks the same and your beard's the same. So you're getting out a little bit and, you know, not going crazy yet. So not yet. You know, not yet. <laughs> Well, hey, um, you know, thanks for joining us, man. I just and I wanted to have a conversation with you pretty quick this fall because uh, it, some stuff that I'm hearing and I've joined a Zoom. I joined a Zoom call that you hosted not too long ago, and and I know that there's a lot of uh, thinking in churches, uh, and we're talking about kind of brick and mortar, maybe a little bit more. Um, institutional or they have a history to them and they're actually starting to think about decentralized forms of church. And I, I've had a couple of conversations and lunches that just kind of uh, caught me by surprise because I heard the word microchurch come out of the mouths of pastors of churches. One, one was like 3,000 and one was 22,000. And I never ever thought I would hear the term microchurch uh, being discussed in institutional circles, you know, for lack, lack of a better term. So um, I, I actually see it as an opportunity to kind of talk about mission and missional stuff. And um, I know that we're, we may not have all the answers on this podcast. We're kind of in the midst of building the prototype um, if you think about like Edison building 200 light bulbs before he got one that worked, you know, maybe we're on number five, you know, whatever you think that's subjective, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about, you know, what, where are you sensing maybe some clarity or some possibility in, um, innovating ecclesiology right now? You know, is there anything that you're, you're kind of sensing, um, well, let's maybe start there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you nailed it. Uh, I, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, it has forced lots of churches to think differently. Um, I just think, you know, I've had lots and lots of conversations. I know you two, you have two, Roland, over the last few months with leaders that, you know, said things like, hey, I knew our Sunday morning uh, gathering was a big deal, but I had no idea just how big of a deal it was. And what they mean by that is they discovered that everything was connected somehow to the Sunday gathering. They were staffed around the Sunday gathering. All their programs and activities were connected to the Sunday gathering. Their giving was connected to the Sunday gathering. So I think one of the things that the pandemic has revealed is just how Sunday-centric most churches are, just how kind of Sunday-centric our ecclesiology is. So I, it has forced uh, many leaders uh, to, just to rethink that. And, you know, the conversation that I've had over and over again is what does it look like to slowly become a little less centralized and a little more decentralized. And there's different ways to go about that, but, but certainly, as you just brought up, one of the major conversations is what does it look like to start smaller expressions of church? And people use different language, and I, I think sometimes maybe not with real clear uh, 
distinction between some of that language that I think we should have because I think it's I think language is matters and it's helpful. But um, you know, some people are calling it a missional community. Some it's micro churches. Some it's house churches. But there is it, it is an opportunity right now. I think it, it, the pandemic is forcing the church uh, to move away from being as you know super centralized that we have been in the past, where Sunday morning is the center point of everything we do to starting these smaller expressions of church and becoming a little bit more decentralized. Do, do, so do you think that, um, you know, churches that have, let's say, for example, a, um, a small group ministry that was, you know, fairly healthy for what small group ministry is uh, in a larger church, is that is that a possible starting point for a dispersed Thinking because I, I know there's some things, there's some paradigm shifts that have to happen in order for a church to actually um, be living, you know, in a in a missional or microchurch dispersed uh, orientation, as opposed to just having small groups that are continually looking back, you know, at the building or coming back to the building. What? What do you think? Yeah, well, there's a lot there that you just brought up. I mean, I do think without a doubt, there are a couple of key overarching paradigm shifts that, that we need to have. And we can come back and talk about this. I mean, I think the major one is we just need to rethink church. And, you know, the way I frame that a lot of times is we need to rethink the nature and essence of the church. But then connected to that as it relates to starting smaller expressions of church, I think is we have to revisit the priesthood of all believers, that it's really about equipping and activating all the people of God. But then I think to go back though to your question, there's kind of a smaller paradigm shift that needs to happen as it relates to the way most people view small groups. And, you know, the question you just asked, Roland, is that a good starting point? Well, I think it depends. I think in some cases it could be a good starting point. It just depends how deeply rooted the, you know, someone's understanding is about the nature of their small group. Because the reality is most small groups, the organizing principle is community. So in other words, a small group was started and created for people to connect together relationally. And that's not a bad thing, but that's very different than a microchurch or a missional community where the organizing principle is mission. So just, I think it could be a good starting point if you can really get people to shift and understand that the starting point is engaging in God's mission. It's not for us to gather together and, and develop deeper relationships. Again, that's not a bad thing, but I just don't think that's, that should be the starting point. Yeah. And I wonder if some, uh, some small groups, I mean, I've talked to a couple um, where because they don't have um, the Sunday service as a, you know, as a large gathering point, on uh, every week that there is a certain sense of communitas that's starting to develop in existing community groups, not because of mission. I mean, we want it because of mission, but it is because they're still connected in a time that's like tent. It's there's a tension. That's the only place that they have community. Um, and it becomes more and more, you know, transparent. And so I've, I've wondered, I mean, what do you think is the thing that the church can do to usher on uh, a healthy dispersion of their people? I mean, and, and keep people in community. Is there anything that you're seeing that's working or, or things that you've even been 
thinking about. And again, we're just, we're kind of prototyping as we go here. So, um, well, yeah, again, I think there's probably multiple things there. I mean, one is, is again, and I sound like a broken record sometimes yeah. to help people rethink the nature of the church. So the church isn't, we are a gathered worshiping community, right? Right. But, but unfortunately that's the only lens that many people have for the church. So they under, understand the church, uh, that we need to be engaging in God's mission outside the walls of the church. So helping people see that they're a sent missionary person and then collectively the church is a sent missionary people. I think that's the starting point. So they, they begin to deeply understand and see that God has sent them into their neighborhoods for a, for a purpose. God has sent them into the workplace for a purpose. God has sent them into social spaces in their community for a purpose. So once they see that, then hopefully they begin to take responsibility for those places that God has sent them. And then I think, you know, as we gather together with other believers, then in those places, it's in our neighborhood or in our workplace or in social spaces, um, we just view those places differently. And, and there's just a desire to engage in God's mission on a deeper level. And then again, ideally we do that with other people, right? I mean, I say all the time, mission is best done as communal activity. Right. So if we can, I just think if we can really get our groups, whatever you call them, if we can really get our groups to engage in mission, there'll actually be a greater sense of community that will flow out of that. Um, rather than starting with community and trying to get people to engage in mission, it will really help people shift to focus and start with mission, more genuine community and discipleship, I think will flow out of that missional engagement. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, we have a big event coming up um, in the city. It's It happens every year. In fact, we had Mike Frost a couple of years ago speaking at it, uh, but it's with an organization called Cause I Love You, and it's a, a, a one day called City Serve where hundreds of churches and uh, thousands of people and then a lot of government um you know, schools and agencies and things like that were kind of all partner together um, to, you know, beautify the city, um, help the poor, you know, uh, do different things in the city. And of course, the church sees it as a as a way to display the kingdom of God in a practical way. But we get to partner with non-faith-based entities and um you know, and actually bring bring something to the city uh, in partnership. And so um, I've actually seen this as uh, an opportunity coming up to take small groups, you know, Bible studies, all these things that exist within the institutional church and hopefully engage them in mission in such a way that then we can we can take that and build on it in the future and so i'm wondering you know have you thought have you thought in terms of the larger church maybe being instead of just a content provider that maybe it becomes um a mission provider a lot of times we call that outreach you know uh, which is not as good a term but maybe these groups start finding a rhythm of mission that they could continue in uh, since they're already meeting as a small group. I mean, is that, is that something that's been on your radar at all? Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. I like what you just shared, Roland. I mean, I think, um, and that, that serve day, of course, that's a great thing, right? But think if we would go into that serve day in smaller communities, again, missional community, small group, whatever language somebody uses, 
with the idea that, hey, this isn't just going to be a one-time shot, but what if our small group actually began to be organized around a piece of brokenness in the city that you discovered through the serve day? Right. I mean, how, how awesome would that be? And that's one of the things I really appreciate about uh, a lot of microchurches is because it's not just organized around mission, but it's organized around a specific mission. So there's, there's a cause or an initiative or a sense of brokenness in the city that that community actually organizes around. So it might be around some sort of poverty issue. It might be human trafficking. It might be foster care. It might be immigration, whatever it might be. But that group is actually organized and formed around that cause. So to, to join that microchurch, then, you know, that needs to be a passion of that person. But man, what a great opportunity in these serve days for these small groups or missional communities or microchurches to discover what are some of those, you know, areas of brokenness in the city that they could mm. kind of organize around. Um, just what a, yeah, what a great starting point for groups to kind of an, adopt a very specific mission uh, to focus on more than just one day, of course. Yeah. Um, and I want, I wonder if that's not something you know, I mean, would that be a possibility? Do you think if you're if you're talking to a pastor um, or senior leadership at a at a church that's trying to figure out how do we live as the people of God in a dispersed orientation? Um, you know, is that one of the you know I hate the word strategy sometimes, but one of the strategy points on the wall is like we want to start connecting our smaller groups of people with a specific um, mission in the city. You know, as simple as that. It's like, let us help you discern one thing that you're gonna do over the six month, over the next six months on a regular basis. You know, and they start traveling in that as a small group of people. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I think what's helpful too is to realize that a missional community or microchurch, no two, I would argue that no two microchurches ought to look alike. And, but, and I think to get at that, there's kind of, it, I think it's helpful to think about microchurches in more than one way. Mm-hmm. So I know the underground, the Tampa underground, which is a network of microchurches that, of course, I know you're familiar with Roland here in, in, in the Tampa area. Uh, they, the, they kind of describe their two different types of microchurches. They call them specific microchurches, and then they call them distributive or incubator microchurches. And here's what they mean by that. A specific microchurch is that church that has everybody in that microchurch has the same passion for that mission. It's kind of what we were just describing, right. human trafficking, mm-hmm. foster care, whatever it might be. But an incubator microchurch, or sometimes they call it a distributed microchurch, that, that's a microchurch made up of like individual missionaries that may not all have the same mission, but they all have a mission. But then they just kind of gather together on a regular basis to pray for each other, to share notes. So sometimes the language that I'll use is I'll, I'll say it's a, it's a group with a mission or it's a group of missionaries. So okay. I think it's helpful to kind of frame it that way is that some microchurches are going to be focused on one very specific mission in the city, but other microchurches are going to, the people in the, those missionaries in that microchurch are going to have different callings. Uh, but they still, we need to do it in community. Uh, right. And then the other thing is, those are the ones that are, are going to multiply. Those are the ones, that's why they use the word incubator, is that they're going to raise up new missionaries that are going to go out and start new microchurches. The microchurches that are specific, uh, they're probably not going to multiply. They're going to grow as more and more people get engaged in the microchurch that's focused on that specific mission. But more than likely, that type of microchurch isn't going to multiply. 
but it could grow. And then the only other thing I would say, Roland, is conversations that I have with, with pastors and existing congregations that say, hey, I, man, I wish we could become a little less centralized and a little more decentralized. I think one of the ways to do that, what, I like what you just said, maybe you get your small groups to engage in some mission, but I think another way to think about it, another kind of starting point, is to take as many people that are interested through some kind of discovery process. And it's a, it's a mission discovery process. So it's a discovery process for them to really hear from Jesus in regards to how are they wired and what is their passion for mission. Um, now, the underground, they have a, a resource called the Calling Lab, but there's other resources that are out there, or maybe you create your own. But you take people through a discovery process for them to identify how are they, how are they wired to, in, to engage in God's mission. Well, once they identify what kind of their, their heart for mission, their passion for mission, then the church, they just need to discover how can they resource them to engage in that mission outside the, sit, outside the walls of the, of the church. And the thing I tell leaders all the time is, look, when you do that with the very first person, I mean, the very first person that discovers, hey, I have a passion for women coming out of prostitution, and you figure out how you can equip and empower and release them into that mission, you just instantly become a little less centralized and a little more decentralized. Right. So think if you could take, I mean, really, let, let's say if a church, if they took 50 people through that discovery, some type of discovery process, and what if only five or even, or if 10 people said, man, now I know God's called and wired me to do this in the city, and you started to equip them to engage in that, it just, again, instantly, you just be, you start becoming more decentralized. Yeah. I, uh, um, well, and of course, I mean, this is a great place to put a forge ad if we had one, but we don't, uh, but for, I mean, forge does that too with church partnerships. And so, um, you know, it's a great time. If, if you're a church leader, you're listening to this, you know, we'd love to have a conversation with you around, uh, becoming a partner. And we have a residency that cohorts can go through where they kind of, um, the light bulb, the missional light bulb kind of comes on and their heart starts beating faster and, and help them figure out, you know, that everyone's a missionary. So, um, yeah, we'd love to talk to people as well um, about that. I love that idea of the incubator and the specific um, microchurch because I've actually engaged some small groups that are you know, everyone is doing different missional stuff. They're not doing it together, but it gives an environment for that group uh, to still be on mission. They just realize that they're on different missions, right. you know, but coming together in community. Yeah, I think uh, that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that we've here at the church that I'm on staff at, and, it, you know, it's a little bit larger church of about a thousand um, we were just talking before we hit record, you know, that we, we started allowing people back in the building in the worship service. And we've been kind of playing with different types of micro sites and live streaming. And, you know, we're doing what everyone else is doing, trying to figure out how to, um, how to distribute content to people. Um, and we have yet to have more than say 250 people on a Sunday, you know, out of two services and, um, you know, a, a couple of microsites, though there are a lot of people online. And what's been interesting to me is though, is, is 
though our attendance at the campus on a Sunday morning is way down, our giving is actually up. And we have been um, really, really focused on connecting with the people in our community to make sure they're okay and give them content in different ways. And um, this is actually, I mean, it's a little bit stressful because we've never done this before, but it's actually an enjoyable way to exist as a brick and mortar church because it feels more like a hub. I mean, we're, we're doing a podcast, we're doing, um, posts, blog posts, we're doing, we are doing Sunday morning, but the sermons are a lot shorter and we're not, you know, wigging out if worship doesn't have all the lights working and all that kind of stuff. And, but people are still engaged and they're still giving to the mission financially and they're still involved um, in different ways, though it may be different times of the week. And so it's an, it's interesting to me that our organism has has seen a shift, a forced shift, to start operating a little bit more like a hub. Though the pendulum swing is really small, we're starting to feel it a little bit. And as a staff member, this is a lot easier way to do ministry than it is to like focus on this one big event that we're just trying to get everyone to on a Sunday. So if we have pastors listening to us right now, um, and they're the gatekeepers of culture in their brick and mortar environment. What are the two, three, four, five things that you would say are the most important paradigms to think about um, in shifting if they need to go to a decentralized kind of format to sustain their community? Yeah, well, one thing I'd love to talk a little bit about Roland, I mean, you just use the word hub there with the church that you're on staff with. I think that is a very necessary way to rethink, not just the church, it is that, but it's to rethink the facilities or the buildings that most churches own. That I tell, again, leaders all the time that I think one of the shifts that we're going to, that's already happening, but we're really going to see as we come out of the pandemic is more and more churches are going to have to repurpose their buildings. And part of that, what I mean by that is they need to take a portion of their building and actually turn it into a hub to where they can resource these smaller expressions of church out, out in, into the community. And, you know, again, I've mentioned the Tampa Underground, which is this network of microchurches here in Tampa. Whenever I first became aware of the Underground, whenever, seven, eight, nine years ago, the first thing that really captured my imagination is this other space that they have that they actually call the hub. And the mm -hmm. hub exists to provide resources to the microchurches. And I just love it. So the hub is actually this space. It's not their Sunday morning meeting, uh, gathering space, but it's this other space that is a huge co-working space. But also in the hub, they provide all these resources. I mean, they, they have space. I mean, it's all for microchurches. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to space, they have this co-working space. They have meeting rooms and a conference room and pre printing services and classrooms private offices, all these different spaces that microchurches can use. But then also it's in the hub that they provide all sorts of training. They provide coaching. They provide financial services like accounting and like donation processing mm -hmm. and tax services and payroll. And then they have like a media department 
where they provide web design and they can do print media or video media, help a microchurch design a logo if a microchurch wanted a logo. But all of this takes place in the hub. Well, the very first time I saw this, I thought, man, think of all the churches around North America that are dead and dying and they have the, these wonderful spaces. What if we began to turn those spaces into hubs to resource maybe other nonprofits in the city, but actually as people started these smaller expressions of church, you could, you could provide resources in that hub to, to support them. Mm-hmm. So what I, again, just what I love about the underground and there's more and more people around the country doing this is that when someone at the underground goes through a discovery process and they say, wow, God's called and wired me to do this thing. Or if somebody comes to the underground and says, Hey, I believe God's calling me to start this mission in the city. The underground says, look, you focus on the mission. Let us take care of everything else. Let us take care of the media, the finances, the nonprofit, which they do for free. It doesn't cost a microchurch a penny. So then the microchurch can just focus on mission. Well, a leader in an existing congregation right now, they, they hear all that. They might think that's too much, but, but take a step. I mean, begin to create, carve out a space of your building where you're actually a hub. Maybe it's a co-working space. Maybe you're just providing computers and, and, and a printer and, you know, a copy or whatever it might be, but for the smaller expressions. So I just think that's a, a big piece that we, we have to kind of rethink our buildings. And we need to we need to think about repurposing our buildings for this for the sake of mission outside the walls of the church. Yeah, I, another step I I have suggested to a couple um, also as, as a guy that kind of started in ministry as a worship leader, traveled you know twenty something years, kind of focusing on uh, worship on Sunday mornings and where that goes. You know, with with the lighting and production and. Um, planning of services and all that is to uh, dial some of the energy of that back, just figure out like, what are the things we don't have to do? Um, What can we dial back during this time where we're doing live streams and there's fewer people in buildings and it's just, it's just not as important. So uh, dial some of the attractional nature of that back just a hair. Um, most of us are doing shorter messages and sermons because people aren't going to sit online for 45 minutes. So, you know, we're at the 20, 25 minute mark. Um, I know our buddy, Mike Frost, he's like hoping people will get down to 10 minute homilies. I don't know if it'll get there, but you know, maybe so. But if you dial some of that energy back, then you can put energy into really good content that helps house gatherings and missional things help, you know, work in the neighborhood. So you're actually repurposing staff. You know, if you think of a staff member having a timeline of this many hours a week, you know, if it's, whether it's 30 hours or 50 hours for upper level pastors and they're able to give, if they're able to give 20 hours to equipping people to be in their neighborhood or to do a different kind of content, uh, that helps a house gathering, um, you know, have the teaching they need for a discussion or helping them have meals or helping them be on mission, then all of a sudden you're, you're spending the same amount of ministry effort, but you're actually um, repurposing some of what you have toward dispersing a little bit. Yeah, I like and, that. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've found that um, to be a really good formula 
you know, for us. And now Sunday mornings just, they don't feel, we just don't have the weight on our shoulders, you know, like we've had in the past. And so it's a lot easier. And, you know, Rowan, I think kind of to piggyback on what you just said, I think that's a little bit of a paradigm shift that has to happen is in most churches, the reality is that small groups or kind of smaller expressions actually exist to support the big, where when you really think along decentralized lines, the big needs to support the small. I don't care if that's the Sunday morning gathering, if it's the staff, if it's the building, we just need to start thinking, look, everything we do as kind of like the mother church or right. big church, it, 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 we have to shift our thinking to say, no, everything exists to support the small. So er, all the, all of the training, the coaching, the facilities, everything that we have, all the resources we have, we, we need to ask ourselves, how can we use these resources to empower and resource the smaller expressions of mission out into the city? But I do think that's a shift because most, most pastors and churches, they don't think that way. I mean, really, they think, well, the small groups, in a sense, kind of exist to support the Sunday morning gathering. I mean, we, we want people in small groups, but then we want them to show up. And already, I mean, and you guys have been at this for a few years now, uh, you, you know, the church that you're at, you've shifted that thinking, that it, yeah. it, people realize it's not just about the Sunday gathering, but the Sunday gathering helps to equip or resource uh, what's taking place throughout the week. Right. And it's not, it's not either or, you know, you're not either a gathered Sunday church or, you know, missional or whatever word you want to use. It's both. And so it's, it's, it's good to be gathered and it's good to, to gather, but, and we grieve that we can't have everyone together, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're scattering well. Um, Hey, last thing I want to get your uh, thoughts on, and you kind of mentioned it was, um, you know, around a paradigm shift of kind of flattening or um, dis- I would say distributing leadership structures. And this is perhaps one of the hardest things for us as pastors and church leaders and stuff to kind of think about. And it's, and it's a real risk. Um, but, you know, we, during at this time, we need a lot of innovation. And so we need, lo- we need these apostolics, uh, prophetics and evangelists that typically um, um, kind of walk the halls of our churches looking for something to do because they they're they're activity makers you know in the kingdom and a lot of shepherds and teachers are put in charge of churches you know that's kind of the formula that we followed for decades and decades um, do you have any thoughts around how to infuse a little bit more of Ephesians 4 into structures? Like if you're talking to a senior pastor that says, you know, I'm already focusing on all I can, but I do want to start these you know, these missional communities or this dispersed network, um, you and I would say, well, you need to find the apostolic in your church or whatever. So, I mean, what would you say to someone around distributing their leadership and maybe taking a risk, making a step toward Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher kind of uh, movement? Well, um, yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, there's several, again, there's kind of multiple paradigm shifts involved there, right? I mean, First off, I think it probably has to start with 
understanding uh, how we have to diminish the clergy laity divide. And of course, that's a huge can of worms that, you know, it's just, it's really hard for some people. It shouldn't be, but we, we have to, you know, we mentioned this early on as we started talking, Roland, that we, we have to recapture uh, a significant understanding of the priesthood of all believers, at, which is related, of course, to the clergy laity divide mm-hmm. that it, you know, so that's a huge conversation to have is that we right. have to activate all the people of God. But then practically speaking, how do we go about doing that? Well, you and I would both agree that uh, a significant part of that is, is, is the conversation around APEST. So I don't know if this is be helpful or not, but here, here's what I, here, there's a little bit of kind of a progression that I usually share with church planters. And I think this would fit for pastors in existing churches as well, just as it relates to APEST. If that's something that's fairly new, I'll say first off to a church planter, look, the first thing you have to do is understand your own gifts in light of APEST. Because when you do, you recognize that those giftings influence the way you think of mission and ministry. So like for a church planter, I'll say, look, if you're a teacher, more than likely you're going to move towards a Sunday gathering as quickly as you can because you want to teach. Or if you're a shepherd, you're going you're gonna, to you know, tend to move more towards the gathered community because you want to shepherd and protect and care for the flock. Nothing wrong with that, but the first step is you've got to identify how are you wired as it relates to APEST. Then secondly, I'll say to a planner, now you need to understand the makeup of your team. So, you know, I would say for an existing, you know, pastor in an existing church, whatever that leadership team is, if it's plurality of elders, however that, that leadership team is structured, you need to identify and find out how's the rest of your team uh, gifted. Uh, so you can really begin to understand each other. And the most important thing is to realize who's missing on your team. So like you just said, it, unfortunately, a lot of church leadership teams are, even if there's eight or 10 people, I've just seen it over and over again. Most leadership teams, even if they're 10, 12 or eight, 10, 12 people, they're made up of shepherd teachers. So mm-hmm. everybody thinks the same way. Everybody wants to form and structure the church the same way. And everyone wants to move in the same direction. So you got to find out how are you wired? How's everyone on your team wired? And then third, determine how is each gift going to have equal input into the mission and ministry of the church? So in other words, how are you going to really listen to each other? Um, So if you are a shepherd teacher, how are you going to listen to the person that's more apostolic? What are you going to, you know, how are you going to set up conversations, you know, in your staff meetings to hear from the prophetic person? Um, so, and, and there's different little tools and exercises you could do to do that. So I think that's the third thing. The fourth thing then is determine how are you going to equip the saints? Because that Ephesians four passage is really about, it's really an equipping passage. I mean, you know, it's for the, the building up the maturity of the body is equipping the saints. So how's that going to happen? So I just think, um, yeah, again, you and I just couldn't agree on this more is that if we're, if we're going to engage in mission outside the walls of the church, we have to identify and listen to the APEs, the apostolic prophetic and evangelistic people, because they're the ones that are leaning into mission outside the walls of the church. Uh, And if they're not, if they're not on our leadership teams, or if we're not giving a listening ear to them, nothing's going to change. We're just going to long for gathering everybody back together into Sunday, in, into Sunday worship. And like you said, Roland, I mean, you made perfectly clear and rightly so. It's not an either or, this is a both and. We are a gathered people. But unfortunately, I would say in the past, it kind of has been an either or. And the either or has been this, the Sunday-centric 
our Sunday centric ecclesiology. So I'm thankful that the, you know, one, one of the silver linings, if there is one of the pandemic is it has forced the church to recognize that. And then now people are asking really good questions about, okay, how, how can we activate all the people of God outside the walls of the church? Yeah. And there, and there are some great resources of people uh, to help coach and mentor those kinds of conversations, which we're not, you know, we're, most churches are not used to having conversations around how do we get apostolics and prophetics around our table. We're actually trying to quiet them down, you know, uh, right. but, but like our, you know, our uh, Alan Hirsch and our friends over at five uh, Q uh, five Q is a great place to visit uh, because they do coaching. They have testing, all kinds of things. They can actually walk a whole team through um, how do you take a hierarchical, uh, structure and kind of make it more of an apest gifting, you know, that kind of equips all the people in your church. So I, I would highly recommend uh, a conversation with them. And of course, uh, us and Forge, uh, we have a residency and, and we hit apest and some of that stuff as well. So, um, well, hey, man, I, we're not going to – we could spend like four more hours talking about this, and we're still gonna, not going to solve all everything that's going on right now in ecclesiology. But um, I really appreciate your, your time, and it's always fun to uh, kind of talk about this stuff and, and uh, dream a little bit about it. What are – I know that you're doing a lot of training these days, and um, – a lot of uh, connection with different churches and church leaders. What are ways that people can get in touch with you? Of course they can through forge and we'll connect you off of our website, but what are some direct ways they can. Yeah, probably you? the best way is just my blog. So uh, missionalchurchnetwork.com uh, and my email address and contact information is there on the blog. Uh, but yeah, that's probably the best. And then a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, Roland, you know, different blog posts are written. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I wrote a, a blog post just trying to make it helping people give language and make a distinction between small groups, missional communities and micro churches. Uh, and of course, everything on there is free. You can download it or just read it online. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a great blog post. Um, highly recommend that. And then you also have, is rethink still available out on your yeah, so website? You can, and you can access that through the website. Yeah. There's, so a couple of free resources, one is just called rethink and it's subtitled nine paradigm shifts for activating the church. And then also this about a year ago, I wrote a, another free ebook that's called co-vocational church planting. And both of those uh, are available through the, my blog. That's great. That's great. Well, hey, reach out to Brad if you're listening, and uh, we would love to also have a conversation with you at Forge America. Uh, you can go to forgeamerica.com to get hold of us. And if there's anything that we can do to help uh, your church, your church community, your leadership team in any of these conversations, we are um, available to you as Brad is. So uh, thanks for listening. And hey, Brad, thanks for spending some time from beautiful Florida. We're, you, we're the best place to spend COVID, right? Well, I think so. <laughs> it's always great to hang out with you. Yeah, good to hang out with you too, man. Thanks a lot. Bye.